Our text this afternoon is Psalm 51. The superscription reads, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And this is the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Too good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Pray with me. Lord, as we read this psalm, we see a desperate, hopeful prayer for forgiveness. And I pray that today you will teach us to pray such prayers that we might please and honor you. God, take our hearts and do with them what you will. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen. And you can be seated. David was miserable. He felt terrible. He had failed. And his failure had brought down upon himself and his family some truly awful consequences. It all started in a season of prosperity. Things were going well for the son of Jesse. His kingdom felt stable. His popularity was high. David was feeling the ability to take things a little easier. Instead of marching out with his army to deal with the, king, the kingdom's enemies, David knew Joab would take care of things. And then it happened. You can read David's story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, though we won't go there today. David, relaxing in his palace, taking a little stroll up on the rooftop, saw a woman 
He desired her. He sent for her. David, by sheer force of royal authority, took her. David committed adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers. After this had happened, Bathsheba sent King David word that their tryst had left her with child. King didn't know what to do. He didn't want to sin exposed. He tried to shape the circumstances so that people would assume that the child was Uriah's, Bathsheba's husband's, but the scheme didn't work. In a fit of fear and frustration, David sent word to Uriah's commanding officer to place him in an impossible position. By his own order, the king of Israel intentionally sent Uriah to his death in a vain attempt to cover up his own sin. When all was said and done, David, the man after God's own heart, God's chosen king for Israel, had committed adultery and murder. Both of those crimes warranted the death penalty in Israelite law. David was guilty and without excuse. The Lord God sent the prophet Nathan to David to confront him about his sin. And Nathan used a brilliant strategy to communicate to the king exactly how ugly was his sin. And David confessed his guilt. David repented of his sin. David sought the forgiveness of God and David received that forgiveness. You know... I believe you know that there's little that feels worse in our lives than to have done wrong, to know it, and to feel there's nothing you can do about it. When we recognize ourselves as sinners, when we see that we have done something that offends our God or that has done harm to other people, we will feel sorrow in our own hearts. Guilt is a very heavy burden. And we, when we are guilty, need to turn to the Lord in repentance and pray for forgiveness. Today we'll spend a little time looking at one of King David's prayers for forgiveness, Psalm 51. It's a beautiful prayer that David prayed after he saw the horror of his guilt in that affair with Bathsheba. Looking at his prayer, you and I can learn how we too should approach God when we find out we've been guilty of sin, either accidentally or sometimes on purpose. As we read through this psalm, we're going to find six points, six, that teach us about praying for forgiveness. So let's get started. You ready? Point number one. This is easy. Pray for forgiveness. I, didn't want, I don't want it to be too complicated for you. Look at verses one and two. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. How many of you have ever been to an opera or a Broadway musical? A couple of you? Some sort of other classical performance? 
If you've ever been or if you've ever studied music, you might know that there's a piece of music called the overture. Is that, is that a familiar word to any of y'all? Yeah. Okay. A lot of times when a show begins, for those of us Neanderthals who don't know, yeah, I know which one of you it is, don't worry. A lot of times when a show starts, the first piece of music that's gonna be played after the lights go down, it's gonna have in it all the different melodies that are woven through the entire musical or the entire opera or the entire whatever. So you'll hear in the overture a bit of the music for the heroes and a bit of the music for the villains and a bit of the music of when it's really stressful and a bit of the music when it's going really well. And it's all sort of woven into one piece. And so you might think of the overture as an auditory overview. It kind of shows you the music that's going to be in the performance to come. In Psalm 51, as David begins, I think that we've got an overture right here in verses 1 and 2. The repentant king summarizes what he's about to pray. He summarizes his need. Then he's going to launch into the themes of praying for forgiveness. And David starts with the prayer, have mercy on me. What a great place to start. Mercy is when God does not give us the negative consequences we have earned. Which, by the way, I would agree is a good thing, wouldn't you? When God has mercy on us, he withholds from us the punishment, the judgment, the penalty we have earned for doing wrong. And why would God have mercy on a sinner like David? Why would God have mercy on a sinner like me? In his prayer, David suggests that God might have mercy according to his steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, is the Hebrew chesed. In scripture, God has always revealed himself, always, as a God who makes and keeps promises. God has always revealed himself as being committed to doing you and me good, genuine, eternal good. And the way God often tells us of this is through the Hebrew word that's here translated steadfast love. Because God, by his will, for his glory, makes promises to his people that he will do us forever good. He'll love us, He'll be committed to our good even when doing us good costs him greatly. That's what love is, by the way, when you are committed to another person so much that you will do them good even when doing them good costs. God is a faithful, loving promise keeper. And David here sees uh, that God has abundant mercy. The willingness of God to withhold from us the judgment we deserve, it's a big deal. God has an overflowing amount of mercy to give to those who come to him for forgiveness. And the final line of verse 1 asks that God would blot out David's guilt. David knows God sees all things. 
David knows God, in fact, has a ledger, a, a record book of our deeds. Now, I, I don't assume it to be a physical book. But when God speaks to us in Old or New Testaments about our lives and about our sins, he often uses this image for us to understand. God knows who you are. God knows what you've done, every little thing. And David, when he asks for forgiveness, is asking God to blot out that record of his wrong. David is asking God to erase his evil so that David won't have to face the consequences of his sin. Verse 2, David uses a different image for the same request. Not only does David want the Lord to blot out the legal record of his wrong, David also knows his sin has made him unclean, unacceptable in the holy presence of God. So David asks that God would cleanse him from his sin. He asks that God would wash him, make him clean again. I don't know if you see it or not, folks, but there's a lot of doctrine in these first two verses. God is full of loving kindness, chesed. God has abundant mercy. Oh, how great it is for us to know that this is our God. Not angry, grumpy, and hate-filled. That's good, don't you think? Our God has every right to destroy us for our sin. That God would be eager to, to promise us good and keep that promise. That, that God would have an abundance of mercy for us. This is glorious news. Without those things in the character of God, you and I have zero hope. Here in these verses we learn about sin. God has a record of our deeds. If we're going to be okay with God, we need God to cover or blot out that record of our wrong. Our wrongs have to be appropriately dealt with if we're going to be right with God. But covering our wrong is not enough for us to be right with God. We also need to be made clean before God. We need for God to take action to purify us so we can stand in his presence. In the Old Testament, God's law often talks about ceremonial cleanness or uncleanness. And that talk was supposed to teach us that anyone who would be in the presence of God must be absolutely pure as God is pure. Here, of course, you see the glory of the gospel, don't you? I don't really think I should wait to the end of the sermon to point it out. What did God give you and me in Jesus? God gave us two things. Jesus died as a sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. It is through Christ's shed blood that God blots out the record of our sin. All of us are guilty of sin. Only if we come to Jesus for mercy can we have our guilt blotted out. Jesus also lived out a perfect human life. Jesus fully completely obeyed the law of God to perfection. It's the only human being who ever did. And for all who come to Jesus for life, God gives us the purity of Jesus. Jesus' blood 
both blots out our record of wrong and gives us the cleanness, the purity we need to stand before God. And it's not because you and I have ever lived out that purity, but it's because God counts us as if we had lived Jesus' purity. God imputes to us who believe Jesus' perfect righteousness. You might want to say to me, Travis, does the Bible teach this? And I'll give it to you in one single verse, a place I love to turn when talking about this. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which reads, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took the guilt for our sins and gave us godly righteousness This is mercy and steadfast love at work. If you've never come to Jesus for forgiveness, I urge you to do so. Believe in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Turn away from your sin and commit yourself to follow Jesus. Jesus will blot out your record of wrong and he will grant you the cleansing that you need to stand in God's presence. Now, before we move on, before we watch David's prayer for forgiveness unfold, let me have a nerd moment and show you the poetic structure in verses 1 and 2, because some of you like this. The rest of you need to. In verse 1, look at the first line and the last line. Both the first line and the last line request forgiveness. The second line and the third line give reasons that we might ask God to forgive us. Notice, by the way, David asks for forgiveness not because of any good in David, but totally based on the character of God. But verse 2, it's shaped differently. You get only two lines, and they're both lines of poetry that say pretty much exactly the same thing. Both lines ask for cleansing or washing. So if you were sort of lining out verse 1, the lines have an A, B, B, A structure, a chiastic design. A little starts with one, goes to the middle, then goes back to the first. Verse 2 has a simple parallel structure. If you were doing it in poetry, A, B, B, A, and then C, C. All right, nerd moment over. What should we take from this? See the character of God. Do you, do you see the glory of the character of God in those verses? In, just in David asking for forgiveness and talking about who God is? See God's character. See how much you need forgiveness and cleansing. And when you see that you have been in sin, pray for God's forgiveness. Now, we're going to go a little quicker, but let's see elements of how to pray for forgiveness because Christians... You know that you still mess up from time to time, right? Or at least your spouse does. So take these down to help your spouse know what they need to do when they mess up. Or maybe just for you. Point number two, confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to God. Verses three through six read, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So guys, part of praying for forgiveness is confession. Confessing your sin means that you agree with God. You say the same thing God says about your sin. That's what confess means, is to agree with God about your sin. You don't hide. You don't make excuses. You just own it. You tell the truth about your wrong in the face of God's righteousness. Verse 3, David confesses. He knows his sins. He knows his transgressions. Verse 4, David realizes that no matter how evil his sins were against Uriah and Bathsheba, David has first and foremost sinned against God because God is infinitely perfect, holy. And David knows he's committed offense against that forever perfection. And this is the main concern that he has. I'm not saying that David is suggesting that Bathsheba and Uriah don't matter. He knows they matter. David knows, though, that the first place his soul needs forgiveness is the presence of God. David sees that God would be perfectly just to kill him, to cast him into hell for what he's done against the glory of God. Verse 5, then very theologically helpful verse. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, don't be confused. David is not at all saying that there's something sinful in how babies are made. Instead, what David's saying is that he knows that as a child of a couple of human beings, he is instantly tainted by the sin of all humanity. Every child of a human father and mother in all of human history is stained by the guilt of Adam from the Garden of Eden. And even if we could behave well for all of our lives, even if you could be good from birth to death, you still would never be perfect enough to walk into the presence of God. Then verse 6 gives us a little contrast. Humanity, all of us are sinful from the moment that our lives begin at conception, but God, he delights in true hearts. God delights in honesty and perfection that runs, notice it, from the inside out. God's not holding us merely to a standard of perfection that is external in your behavior, but also to perfection on the inside and your inmost thoughts and your desires. God teaches us wisdom. God shows us that we've never once lived up to his perfection on our own. God shows us that whenever we have sinned, the biggest problem, the first problem, the problem you and I cannot conquer is that our sin is an attack on God's holiness. When we do wrong, when we think wrong, when we're tainted by the wrong of the human race, we are going up against the unlimited perfection of God and that shows us how greatly we need God's mercy and God's forgiveness. Without it, we have no hope. 
When you're guilty of sin, first confess it to God. Realize who God is, realize who you are, realize what you've done, and admit to God your great need of his mercy. Don't make any excuses, just tell God the truth. It's not like he doesn't know it already. Third point now, point number three, still with me? Pray for cleansing. Pray for cleansing. Look at verses 7 through 9. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Again, earlier I said to you, you need your record to be blotted out and we need our lives to be made clean. Here's the prayer for the clean side, for the cleansing side. David asks to be purged, to be washed. Pointing back to hyssop, that's a reference to the sacrificial system. Priests would use the, the hyssop branch to sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the altar. David's asking to be made clean because of the death of a worthy sacrifice. That's what he's doing there. God, make me clean because of the death of a worthy sacrifice. David knows he can't make himself clean before God unless God does the work. And so he asks God, God, please you wash me clean, white like snow. Then David asks in verse 8 to be able to hear joy again. Verse 9, he asks that God would turn his face away from his sin and please continue blotting out his wrong. See, once you've confessed your sin to God, you need to ask God, based on a worthy sacrifice, to wash you clean and blot out your sin. Again, in the Old Testament, that would have pointed you right to the temple. It would have pointed you to the sacrificial system. But in our day, thanks be to God, it points us to Jesus Christ. God the Son shed his blood to blot out our sin and to make us clean before God. So when you've sinned, you plead the blood of Jesus as you ask God to forgive you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus has done. Fourth, pray for renewal. Pray for renewal. Verses 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. How many of you have an old worship chorus in your head now? A couple of you do. Back in verse 10 there, David asked God, give me a clean heart and a right spirit. He wants his inner man to become a man who honors God and who doesn't fight against God anymore. Verse 11 often scares Christians, but it really shouldn't frighten believers in the Lord Jesus. David asked God not to cast him from his presence, nor to take his Holy Spirit away. You see, in the Old Testament, men like David understood I mean, David knew God was everywhere, but he found the presence of God. Well, where did you go look for the presence of God in the Old Testament? You went to the temple, right? That's where you go for the presence of God. 
Even though David knew God was everywhere, David did not want to be driven away from the place where God was worshipped and where sacrifices are going to be made. But also in David's day, the Spirit of God would come upon men and leave them based on God's purposes. King Saul had the Spirit of God come upon him to empower him to lead as a king. But when Saul turned against the Lord, God took that Spirit away from him. You saw the same stuff with Samson and the whole haircut thing, right? For the Christian, God will never, listen to me Christians, God will never cast us from his presence, nor will God, for those who have Jesus Christ, nor will God ever remove his spirit from us. How do I know? In John 6, 37, the Lord Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. How's that for good news? In Romans 8, verses, verse 9, Paul, in defining what a Christian is, says we got the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The assumption would be, if you do belong to Christ, guess what you have? The Spirit of God. When you get Jesus, you get the Spirit of God as a permanent indwelling gift and a seal of God's promise. God will never remove his Spirit from Christians. Verse 12, then, of David's prayer shows us something that really is more in our area of prayerful need. David asks that the, that the Lord would restore to him the joy of his salvation. David asks that God would, would make him, give him a willing spirit, a heart ready to obey from today forward. When you've confessed your sin to God, when you've asked God to forgive you based on the blood of Jesus, the next step is to ask God to renew you. And what you're asking is that God would, would change your heart, keep sanctifying you, help you turn from sin better than you did today. Ask God to help you walk in his mercy, following his word, following his spirit, living in fellowship with the Lord. Christian, listen to me closely. Because Jesus has already paid for every sin you have committed or will ever commit, your sin does not make God suddenly turn away from you. When you sin, you turn yourself away from the Lord. Prayer for renewal is a prayer asking God to help you turn back toward Him and live in the joy a fellowship with him. And this is a beautiful part of praying for forgiveness. Fifth point. Commit to obedience. Commit to obedience. 13 all the way to 17. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I'd give it. 
You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God, or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now David in the prayer, he's looking forward. He, he promises, you know, now that I've got your forgiveness, now that I've experienced this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach others. I'm gonna warn people. I'm gonna help people return to follow God. Verse 14, David says, he will sing of the mercy of God because God has forgiven him. Verse 15, David promises to, to speak of the greatness and the mercy of God. Then in verses 15 and 16, David acknowledges again, I, I, I couldn't give God something to impress him. David knows he can't earn God's favor through sacrifice, through ritual, Instead, David knows that what God wants of him is a humble, repentant heart. David can't pay God back. All he can do is humbly receive grace. David's pattern's right for us here too. When we've been forgiven, it is right that we praise God. We want to sing God's praises when we're forgiven, don't you? We... We want to tell people about the grace of God. We want to use even our own past failures to help warn other people away from the mistakes that we've made. Now, by the way, think about that for a second. How many of you have thought to yourself, I'm really not qualified to do ministry? Here's my question. Do you have Jesus and have you made mistakes? How many of you have Jesus? Yes. How many of you have made mistakes? Yes. Then don't you think you've got something to warn others with? You could teach people. You could teach people. Look, the, the bigger mess up you are, the more ready you are to warn people, don't be like me. This is why I'm the pastor. <laughs> but this is vital. We never think we can earn anything through our acts of worship. See, one major mistake that many people make when they've sinned is we think we have to behave extra well for the next few days to get in good with God. That's a lie. Human beings have often believed that you should perform acts of penance to please God. But God's never been pleased with that. You can't punish yourself and honor God. You can't promise God your obedience and make him change how he feels toward you. All you can do is be a humble, helpless recipient of the mercy of God given to you by God's grace through faith in Christ. Just stop and think with me for a minute, and I think this logical will make sense. Why is God not impressed if I punish myself for my sin. God punished Jesus for my sin. If I think I can impress God by self-punishment, I'm dishonoring the sacrifice of God's Son. Be honest with yourself. Do you, when you failed Try to beat yourself down a little bit and punish yourself and 
just sort of have a mopey, nasty day because you haven't been good? You're not impressing the Lord with that. Yes, sorrow over your sin, no doubt, but don't think you're going to get credit for beating yourself up. Why is God not impressed if we say, I will be extra good to make up for my sin? Well, if we've got Jesus, God has already granted us the record of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Do you think you can add to that? No. You know what we can do? Be humble. Receive grace from Jesus. Then commit to obedience, not because we will earn anything, but because of the joy we get for praising our merciful God. Last point. Number six. You still awake? God bless you. Pray for God's glory. The last one. Pray for God's glory. 18 and 19. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So David's closing the prayer here, and he prays that God would do good to Zion. He prays that God will have offerings offered on his altar in the holy temple. Zion is the place of the temple. Zion is the place that represents the presence of God, the glorious presence of God over Israel. And here in the final part of the prayer, David prays that God would do good to Zion so that God's name would be properly glorified. David is praying that God, regardless of what God does with David, he's praying that God will see to it that the worship of God is uninterrupted. David is asking God, God, have mercy on me so that your glory can be seen in and around Jerusalem. Honestly, every aspect of our prayer for forgiveness should be focused on the person and the glory of God. Our only hope is that God is full of steadfast love and abundant mercy. We want God to forgive us and restore us and strengthen us so that his name would be properly praised in the church and all over the world. We will sing God's praise as forgiven sinners. We will worship him as people cleansed by his grace. We will share the love of a forgiving God all over the globe. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and he realized his guilt, it ate him up. And if you have any love for the Lord at all, if you're a Christian, you know the sorrow that you feel when you realize you've been wrong before the Lord. I hope that the time here has helped you a little bit to think about how it is you need to go about praying for forgiveness. Pray. Confess your sin to God. Pray that God cleanse you from your guilt for his name's sake. Pray that God renew and restore you in your joy and your love of him because of Jesus. Commit yourself to obey God, to worship him, to sing his praise, and to warn others away from sins like yours. And ask God to be glorified. Ask God to spread his fame all over the globe. Ask God to give others the kind of forgiveness that he has given you in Jesus.
And I'll say again, if you've never come to Jesus for grace, I urge you, come to Jesus today. There is no forgiveness for you apart from Jesus. Only through Jesus' blood will God ever blot out your sin. Only because of Jesus' perfect life will God ever give you the cleansing and righteousness you need to stand before him. If you don't have Jesus, you will suffer the wrath of Almighty God for your sin. If you just let go of your sin, if you'll run to Jesus for mercy, God will cleanse you and blot out your sin and make you into a worshiper of his. God will give you the peace that comes with forgiveness and the joy that comes from glorifying your Lord. If only you'll yield to Jesus and find forgiveness as you trust in him. Let's pray together, friends. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you deeply for your forgiveness. I don't deserve it, but you've given it in Christ. We are under your mercy and we say thank you. We are needful to pray for forgiveness not because you've turned from us but because we need to return to your holy presence Lord if there's anyone in here today struggling with sin I pray that this will help them in the, in the process of confession and repentance if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you I pray you'll save their soul do good in your church so that your name might be praised we ask it in Christ's holy name Amen.